It's time to breathe new life into the social entrepreneur by empowering you to make a living through fulfilling work that will impact lives. You'll make money, but more importantly, you'll make a difference. Welcome to the Change Creator Podcast. It's time to build a business with purpose. Now here's your host, Adam Force. What's up, everybody? This is your host, Adam Force. Welcome to the Change Creator Podcast show. We have an exciting discussion today with Shell Horowitz. He's the founder of Going Beyond Sustainability. Decades of experience um, in both the business and environmental spaces. And he's been helping people tie them together profitably for more than 15 years. He has written 10 books and seven of those 10 have won awards. He's done a TEDx talk. He's a marketer, an activist, all these good things. He's tons of, he has tons of experience and insights to share. He's been profiled and quoted in Forbes, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Entrepreneur, ABC News, BBC News, and the list goes on. So we're going to talk to him today about sustainability and about business and all those good things. So stay tuned and listen to what he has to say. So before we get into that conversation, just a reminder, we have released the latest edition of Change Creator Magazine, and it is the Beginner's Guide to Social Business. Guys, we dive deep into the idea of social business, how to find social business ideas, uh, some of the common questions, and the business impact business models that are out there. Um, And we go through all these things, and then we also tie in over 20 interviews that support the points that are making uh, that we're making in the guide. So as you walk through it, you'll get in-depth insights from interviews with people, and that's over 20 interviews. Again, this is a very robust uh, magazine, and it's in the app. It's live now. You can start a 30-day free trial with your annual subscription. So jump in there, check it out. We hope you guys love it and find it really helpful. Uh, We put a lot of good time into it, and we'd love your feedback. So remember to stop by the App Store and leave us that five-star review. Um, And I think without further ado, we're going to dive into this conversation with Shell and see what he has to say. I know you're going to dig this. Hey, Shell, thanks for joining the Change Creator Podcast show. How are you doing today? Just great, Adam. It's a rainy January day here in Massachusetts and uh, kind of cool looking in the fog. (laughs) Excellent. Yeah, we got a little cloud. We got some clouds here in uh, South Florida, but uh, the temperatures are nice, so I can't complain too much. So I would like to just talk to you about all this awesome stuff that we uh, previously got some insight from you on. Um, And this was based on just looking into the future. You know, what's going on um, in 2018 that people in the social impact space might need to be aware of to step up their game or get new ideas. Um, But before we get into that, can you just give everybody a little bit more background um, about your experience in the space? And um, I know you have a, an exciting book that you have out uh, with Gorilla Marketing. Um, and just give us a little bit of that overview and, um, you know, the two-minute overview. <laughs> sure. Okay. Well, I've been doing both marketing and activism, particularly environmental activism, right. for more than 40 years. And the last... Uh, decade and change, I've really been looking at how can I braid those two together into something where there's a career in there. And uh, I I have found that 
the time has changed quite a bit. When I started talking about green business, uh, people were like, no, oh, you can't do that. Or business ethics, oh, that's an oxymoron. I don't hear that stuff anymore. <laughs> no. Um, I, you know, now people are, are really excited and, and prepped for the idea that business can have not just a role, but can be a catalyst for ending things like hunger, poverty, war, and catastrophic climate change. It's the most exciting work I've ever done. And I I'm, I'm just feel so blessed to be able to make a difference in this arena. I have written uh, eight of my 10 books are in some way about marketing, and several of them are about marketing in green business and social entrepreneurship, especially my most recent one, Guerrilla Marketing to Heal the World, which is the second book I did with J. Conrad Levinson, the late founder of the Guerrilla Marketing business and movement. Okay. And it's, it's just amazing to me how much great work is being done. But one trend that really is different for 2017-18 than before, for those of us in the United States, is a lot of social entrepreneurs used to feel like the way they were going to make it work was with a lot of help from the government. In the current federal government that we have in the United States, there isn't going to be any help. So the private sector has to do it ourselves. Now, fortunately, if you show businesses that they can make money doing the right thing, they're happy to do the right thing. Right. And every study I've ever seen, Adam, points out over and over again that customers reward the businesses that are doing the right thing. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, there is – that trend is, um, I think – you know, progressing, like you said, and you're seeing more and more, especially with the data, you know, you look at Nielsen, Pew, and all these, um, you know, survey and research uh, firms, and you're seeing that the younger generations, you know, they want to buy products from people that are, um, you know, supporting causes or are sustainable, things like that. And they'll even spend more money to do that, right? And yeah. um, at yeah. the same time, though, you, you see, you know, the apples and the iPhones of the world, which I use and everyone uses, but you do hear about the stories where it's like, hey, you know, where they make the iPhone, they have suicide nets surrounding the building, but that doesn't stop anybody from buying the, uh, the iPhone. <laughs> yeah, there are issues. Um, I have a droid personally, but yeah. I do own Apple computers and it, it is an issue. And uh, one of the things we've learned is that on the consumer side, consumers have the power to hold companies accountable. Perhaps the most dramatic instance of that is Nike. Nike was pretty much forced out of sweatshops years ago because consumers said, we're going to go buy somebody else's sneaker if you don't clean up your act. Right. Right. And that's the power, that's the power people have. And so, you know, there's a lot of companies out there who are trying to build the awareness for consumers to make smarter decisions. And the Internet's playing a big role in circulating that information. Um, and I always wonder, I'm like, well, should we is it is it the people that have to make a smarter decision or does it come to the root of, you know, it goes deep, but I'll, start, I'll take one step back, which is to the businesses and how they approach a business to begin with. Well, this is not, in my opinion, an either or, but a both and. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that uh, businesses typically take the first step of doing something to be more responsive to the people in their marketplace who demand it. Right. And then consumers respond by supporting that company and sometimes even evangelizing for that company. Yep. And you end up with um, word of mouth, word of mouse, a word of uh, dollar bills in the cash register, and uh, it becomes a virtuous cycle. So each 
time the bar gets raised a little bit and a company steps up and, and pushes that bar, then they get a following and that following grows. And, and what's interesting is that at this point, the bottom line case, the single bottom line case, the financial numbers are so strong in favor of doing these things that you go, uh, I went to a conference last year called the Responsible Business Summit. Mm-hmm. And the speakers were from companies like Coca-Cola and Ford and, uh, you know, the very most mainstream, most successful Fortune 50 companies were very well represented there. Right. Yeah. And this is something pretty much every company now of, of bigger than a fairly small size has people working on the social responsibility side. But what typically they've done it, a lot of them have done it from a charity perspective, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I advocate really moving into looking at core operations. What products and services do you already make that can have a social change function, Mm -hmm. that could create jobs in an inner city, or that could um, make a a real difference in carbon footprint, or actually do something to end hunger and poverty? So... When we create those kinds of products and market them effectively, then they're not an add-on and they're actually generating core profits and then also they're not at risk in a downturn. Because if you have to chop, you're not going to chop the part that's bringing you new customers and new revenues. Right, right. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and, you know, I, I it's interesting because uh, I guess I – I always feel like um, you're right. There's it's multiple. There's multiple roles, and there's always there's kind of this um, new. I guess there's a kind of like a transition happening where you know there is then shareholder primacy has been the focus for business, but now people are adopting an impact model, so they're reframing what they do or repositioning it, or you know, or changing the mission a little bit. And this now their business model is becoming more holistic instead of one sided. Yeah, yeah. And speaking of holism, my, my first email to you talked about the idea of biomimicry, of, of looking. I have a section in Guerrilla Marketing to Heal the World called Mother Nature Chief Engineer. Right. And um, we look at these tough technical <clears throat> problems that we don't know how to solve. And then we look around and we see that nature solved these eons ago. So <laughs> yeah, nature yeah. knows how to get water out of the desert. You know, just ask the Namib desert beetle how they do it. Um, nature knows how to build with materials that have such tensile strength that you, if you brought them up to human scale, they could stop a jet plane. That would be a spider web. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's nature, amazing, too, to think about that. <laughs> nature's green leaves are solar collectors that work at efficiencies above 90%. The most special prototype laboratory stuff that humans have ever done is in in the 40s and the typical commercial installation is going to be somewhere in the 10 to 20 percent range Mm. so if we can figure out how to make a 90 percent efficient solar collector well my goodness boom already we know that more solar energy falls on the earth every single hour than humans use in a a year (laughs) so these are all solvable challenges yeah but it seems like we have a hard time mimicking uh, nature (laughs) getting better at it though yeah yeah Yeah. Um, 20 years ago it was much harder to to do a lot of these things and now there's really there's some people near me at the university of massachusetts who developed a a very strong powerful adhesive called geck skin and they did it by studying gecko lizards right that's interesting yeah 
Well, this the spider web thing blows my mind, um, and you know I've, I have heard that before, and the strength of it, and I, I've heard biomimicry, and there's a lot of things that we have solved, and, and it's because we studied nature and things like that. So I love that direction, and especially for young entrepreneurs, you know. When you're looking to solve problems, um, yeah, look at nature. I mean, look at wh- where where can you find solutions. Nature seems to have already solved all these problems. Um, you know, obviously, it doesn't solve the problem of uh, poverty per se. That's a different kind of thing. But there's a lot depending. Well, on- I oh. think it has. Okay. Um, I'd like to hear that. Tell me, yeah, yeah. This this is new off the cuff, and the first time I'm ever speaking or thinking this. Okay, but. My immediate reaction was, look at ecosystems as a totality. <clears throat> in an ecosystem, nothing goes hungry, really. Um, there's always going to be some kind of raw material for that whatever kind of critter or plant or bug it is to, to eat. And then the waste from that become food for something else. So that, that kind of ongoing, I hate to use the word synergy, it's so cliched. But, it's um, circular, though. Yeah, it's it's circular and in yeah. loopular. It, it's not just a simple circle, but it's many complex loops. And there's a a man named John Todd who I write about in the book who really kind of looks at that, and he does things like create systems to clean a polluted lake that have sixteen or twenty five different interlocking systems, each attacking one little piece of it and working together as a coherent whole. And that's the model that nature gives us. Yeah, it's interesting, though. And, you know, you look at something like that and I think of, well, they have these creatures. Every creature on Earth, except the human being, um, has a different, um, you know, set of, I guess, obviously, intelligence, emotions and things like that, where they're not engineering restaurants and refrigerators that are stocking up (laughs) everything. They use what they need in the moment and then that's it. So they're not, um, you know, taking out all the fish in the ocean or, you know, polluting it with plastic and all these things. So we have to kind of get over, I guess, certain, you know, human challenges if we want to mimic any kind of holistic cycle, the the cradle to cradle cycle, if you will. Um, Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Even the animals that do hoard, you think about a squirrel, they'll put aside a two-month supply of nuts to get them through the winter. They will not put aside a 10-year supply of nuts. <laughs> right, and they, they lose half of those nuts most times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you know, it's true. It's true, and I always wondered that. I'm like, why did we – and, you know, I, I love these conversations, and I'm, I'm sure we can talk for hours on it because it gets down to um, you're going to get me talking about the capitalist system um, where everyone, <laughs> you know, sings praise and sings praise. And while maybe 100 years ago it had its value, I think, you know, we've kind of outgrown it. And we're trying to fit a square peg in a round hole a little bit with where we need to go right now. And we're trying to use an old system that's kind of not serving us anymore, and it's creating these poor behaviors. Yeah, and one way to flip that around is to value not just material capital, but also human capital and resource capital and natural capital. This is something that Paul Hawken and Amory Levins have talked about in their amazing book, Natural Capitalism. Mm. And um, um, I think actually Hunter Levins, Amory's ex-wife, was also an author there. And, uh, you know, as we see those as as resources, and I think all of these big problems, hunger, poverty, war, climate change, are ultimately resource issues. And when we, the nice thing about resources framing is that when you frame it that way, you see the solutions. 
Yeah, and I mean, let me know if you agree, but I think that the Earth has more than enough resources for everybody. We only put our own uh, limitations around the sharing of those resources. Uh, yes, with the caveat that human systems have done a lot to mess that up. Yeah. We have to <laughs> not only stop doing that, but we have to regenerate it. Um, I'm a big believer in regenerativity. Yeah. And, and, you know, sustainability is about keeping things the way they are, but the way they are is in many ways not as desirable as the way things were in nature two, three hundred years ago before humans started really messing around with it. Right, right. It's interesting. And, um, and, and that's why I love social entrepreneurship, too, is because we are supposed to, you know, by, by traditional definition of social entrepreneur, um, you know, you're looking at shifting the equilibrium of a system, which means you, you really need to look at asking why several layers deep to get to that root cause. And, you know, it's always really the systems that we live by that are shaping the ultimate behavior. You know, why do we have businesses? Why are we a consumption driven society? Why is everyone marketing, marketing, marketing? Bye, bye, bye. You know, you need more. Like it's always comes down to these root causes around the systems we have. So when a social entrepreneur is looking to change systems, that will ultimately change the behavior of people without saying relying on people. Hey, people, you need to do better at this. It's no, we'll change the system and you will start reacting to it differently. Yeah. And we need to ask ourselves questions like, what can it look like to have an economy that's not based on consumption? And that answer is going to take some decades to figure out, but it'll be there. Yeah. Well, and it's going to get more interesting, I think, because, um, you know, we're looking at a future of automation. As that happens, there's going to be more abundance of things. So if we have automation taking care of all the the labor and supplies and things like that, we have less jobs, less people contributing to the economy. Um, I think it opens up the doors for us to free up our time. I mean, that was the original intention years ago for technology is like, let's get good with technology so we don't have to have you know, as much hours just working, working, working and doing labor and we could free ourselves up to do more aspirational things. But unfortunately, we didn't go that direction. We actually work more hours today and make less money on average household income. <laughs> I know. It's pretty shameful, isn't it? It but is shameful. Point, we, we've done amazing things with technology. I think about even I, I put solar hot water on my house, which was, by the way, built in 1743. I think it might be the oldest solar home in the wow. country. Wow. Um, that was the year Thomas Jefferson was born. So That's crazy. Um, the, the solar um, panels that I put on hot water in 2001 and a little one kilowatt uh, solar electric system in 2004 are totally obsolete by today's standards. Wow. Today's collectors are far more efficient, cost less to build, generate more power. So we're making huge strides by harnessing technology in, in more people and planet-centric ways. And that's very good. Right. But we've got to do it. Uh, right now, it's still, I think, if you look at the percentage of people doing social entrepreneurship or even doing green business, it's a much lower number than it should be. There's still a lot of people mired in the old ways of thinking, trained by people who were trained in the 50s, and not really thinking out of that very limiting box. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I agree. Um, so I want to I want to move on to um, one of your other topics, actually, that you had in an email with some notes. Um, let me just pull that up again, really quick. You talk about biological marketing. Can you can you talk a little bit about that? Because I thought it was an interesting um, topic that you brought up. 
Sure. This is something uh, that my friend John Kramer came up with. And while I was writing my first book on business ethics and green principles as success strategies, I happened to be speaking at a conference where he was speaking also. And he did this long riff on biological marketing that just fascinated me. And I just pulled out my device and got as much of it down as possible and then said, hey, John, can I use this in my next book? And he said, sure. And the idea is that if most of our marketing follows the laws of mainstream physics. And when I say mainstream physics, I mean physics as it existed pre-Einstein. Right. Um, and very linear, very predictable. And he's looking for the big leap. He's looking for the exponential growth. Mm -hmm. So he talks about the power of relationships as a biological marketing agent. And he talks about the metaphor he uses is an ear of corn. Yeah. An ear of corn has maybe a thousand kernels. Each one of those kernels doesn't become, you know, the thousand and one or even the thousand and, and tenth kernel. It becomes another stalk with 10 or 20 ears, each with a thousand. So you have just created, you know, 20,000 seeds from one seed. Right. Um, it doesn't follow a linear path at all. It's a much steeper curve than that. Mm-hmm. So he says the same thing is that if you cultivate relationships with 50 or 100 people who are going to be really key in your world, they can bring you out. And this is kind of the same thing that um, – who is it that wrote the book about 10,000 fans? Uh, was it Chris Anderson? I don't remember either. Uh, but, you know, it's the same basic principle. Um or 1,000 true fans, that the, yeah, the idea yeah. a small critical mass of people can take your message to the masses in much, and we see this with the power of social media. Oh my goodness. <laughs> when I, this uh, time when I was listening to John was in 2002, that was pre-Facebook, that was pre-Twitter. Uh, LinkedIn existed, but there were 150,000 people on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, you know, so, so we've now seen how the business world has caught on, at least with that piece. There's no business out there of any size that's not doing social media anymore. Right, right. Which is, you know, it's a whole other uh, game to play at this point. And you're right, there's a huge um, exponential potential for people. And I guess, you know, it becomes this whole, how do I break through the saturation now? So you have all these key players that could really spread the word. Um, and I guess it also comes down to the message that you're sharing. Um, and does it actually cut through the noise and, and trigger people to, to share it? Um, you know, stuff yeah. like that. So the idea, yeah, I was just going to say the idea is very sound. And I feel like it's getting more difficult, though, to take advantage of. Well, I don't know. We have just in the last few months the Me Too movement. Yeah. Mm -hmm. that, one, that came up out of nowhere on an issue that's been building for as long as we have human beings, men and women. There have been issues around sexual exploitation. Right. And then something reached a critical mass and boom, it was everywhere. And all these famous people were coming out and saying Me Too. And uh, uh, lots of careers were ending very quickly. And... <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, radical change happened when we reached what Malcolm Gladwell would call the tipping point. Right. Yeah. So that broke through the clutter. Yeah. Uh, we have, uh, much as I hate to admit it, we have the master marketer who is now in the Oval Office. Um, <laughs> master manipulator. <laughs> the one thing he is good at is is finding those 
tipping points and pushing us over them. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, with disastrous results. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, so we, we see an example there from both the right and the left of how in today's very oversaturated world, you can still do this. Right. Yeah. No, I think you're right. Um, it does. It, I guess if the the message is important enough, it's relevant enough. Um, it just has to capture the people's attention, um, and it will it will be distributed. That's for sure. So yeah, and, and, and sure. I mean, just you know, I, I certainly did not vote for the man, and would never vote for the man, and actively worked against him. Yeah. But if you look at the key marketing slogan of his campaign, it was "Make America Great Again," and if you look at the key marketing statement of his opponent, it was. I'm with her. Okay. <laughs> and no one cares about that, but they like to, yeah. yeah, you know, Russell Brunson talks about that in his, uh, or not, was it Russell Brunson? Uh, somebody was talking about how, you know, interestingly enough, if you look at all the presidential campaigns, it's the ones that make a tagline that promise something for the future. Like, hey, follow me over here and the grass is greener on this side. Yeah. And that's Obama what he did. Change. Obama did the same thing, yeah. Yeah, and Obama did not deliver on the hope and change, and that's a lot of why the Democrats lost in 2016. Well, it might be why. I feel like there's a lot more to it. <laughs> there's, there's, we could have a whole hour on yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But yeah, uh, I mean, the Republicans have been traditionally better at sloganeering, um, at message points. Um, they have studied Dan Kennedy. They have studied uh, Richard Vigory. They have studied the people who, who know how to manipulate minds for a living. Exactly. The Democrats haven't really done that. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, the I'm with her, it's like, yeah, okay, who cares? <laughs> it's exactly. Like, really? I mean, I'm not a fan of her either, to be honest. I'll, I'll openly admit I, I was a Bernie Sanders fan. And you know what? Here's the thing. I was never into politics whatsoever because my belief is that the system itself just creates corrupt people. So they're all corrupt. Um, Bernie Sanders is the only person in the past like 10 years that caught attention of being actually authentic and genuine at at least some level. <laughs> Yeah, I, I was a Bernie supporter. I went to hear him speak. I voted for him in the primary. Yeah, and yeah. I was, you know, the, the interesting thing is he was running a gadfly campaign. He never expected to get any traction. I don't think Trump did either. No. Uh, and, and the two of them were the beneficiaries of a real anti-establishment movement at that moment in history. Right. Uh, when Bernie started winning primaries, I think he was probably the first one to go, huh? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But he kept that authenticity. His success didn't get to him. And we see Elizabeth Warren, who's my senator here, and there are a few other people like that who are still very much on message and understand the framing. And I, I, I think that Bernie would have actually cleaned Trump's clock if he had been the candidate in the oh, general. Yeah, totally. Oh, and if nothing was messed with, <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Well, listen, I want to be respectful of your time. Uh, we're about up here, but this is a fascinating conversation. I think you shared some really great insights, um, and I love talking about these topics, so I appreciate that. Um, where can people find you? Where can they uh, track down your book, all that good stuff? Why don't you give yourself okay. some shout outs? Sure. My website is goingbeyondsustainability.com. And in that website, goingbeyondsustainability.com slash freebies is a page where I offer a lot of different things. I offer my newsletter. I offer a 15-minute consultation with me that you get for filling out a an assessment on how much of a green or social entrepreneurship business you are. Um, 
I've got a sampler from the book Guerrilla Marketing to Heal the World mm -hmm. uh, with some of the really cool content in there. Uh, the book is like 300 pages long, so the sampler is just a little piece of it. Uh, but it, it, it talks about how, for example, one of the greenest companies in the world is, is going to surprise a lot of people because it's like the most bottom line driven company out there. And uh, yeah. I, I, I'm not, I'm just going to leave it as a teaser there, but it's a company you do not think of as a social change. Company <laughs> at all. Awesome. Uh, so. Um, yeah. So that, and then my phone number is 413-586-2388. And I'm accepting calls 8am to 10pm US Eastern time. And my email is S H E L just one L shell at green and profitable.com the word and is spelled out um, twitter is my name s-h-e-l-h-o-r-o-w-i-t-z okay awesome um i don't think anyone's ever shared their phone number on here so guys uh, no no prank calls okay <laughs> <laughs> just kidding all right this is great uh shell thanks so much for your time and expertise keep doing what you're doing we appreciate it Thanks, Adam. Take care. That's all for this episode. Your next step is to join the change creator revolution by downloading our interactive digital magazine app for premium content, exclusive interviews, and more ways to stay on top of your game. Available now on iTunes and Google Play. Or visit changecreatormag.com. We'll see you next time where money and meaning intersect right here at the Change Creator Podcast. 